0: You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. We're having technical difficulties to get started. Um, I just want to get into a story today. Um, everybody loves story. It's interesting. The first, the first depictions of humans we have all over the world. Uh, are telling stories. So we all love stories, and the Bible is the best storytelling. I want to get into the Gospel of John. If you're familiar with it, you know where it is. If you're newer to studying the Bible, the Gospel of John is towards the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you start seeing people's names, you're kind of in the right neighborhood. But I want to look at John 4, a popular passage. How many of you have ever read or heard someone speak? On John 4, like most of you, like I think some of you are probably not raising your hands and you're just afraid I'm going to call on you. But the, the gospel, John, it's a favorite passage. My wife loves this passage. I've talked about it in a couple of different settings. And the first time I preached it at our church in North Dakota, my, I told my wife when I was preaching, she goes, don't screw this up. Because it's such a favorite passage. So I'll do my best not to screw it up. But check out John chapter 4. We're going to just catch up the story. Now, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's leaving the vicinity. He's going back up to Galilee. So I'm going to pick it up here, um, verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria as he's moving north. So Samaria, some of you, if you've, you've probably got a map section in the back of your Bible, you could turn and look. But if you kind of know where Jerusalem and Judea is... The territory to the north there is Samaria, and you've got, let's see if I can do this backwards, you've got the, sea, uh, the Mediterranean Sea on the one side, and the Jordan River on the other side, and then Galilee, where Jesus was from, was north of that. And so Jesus is going back up to his homeland up in Galilee, and it said that he had to pass through Samaria. He didn't have to, but that's interesting language that the narrator, the gospel writer John is using. There's... Uh, all things that God ordains, right? That's, there's something happening here. So that should clue us off. Initially, right out of the bat, that something is coming. Je- Jesus had to. Why? Why did he have to, invites the question. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That might just feel like ancillary background information, but this business about the well is really, really important. In fact, this was a well that was dug by Jacob centuries before. So this is family territory there, okay? So let's get into the story. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw a water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into town to, find, to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And the narrator tells us in parentheses, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, For you, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, And he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And he gave us, he gave us the well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, "Well, sir, give me this water, so that I'll not be thirsty and have to come draw water." And Jesus said to her, "Go and call your husband, and come here." And the woman answered him, "I have no husband." And Jesus said to her, "You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband's. What you have said is true." The woman said to him, "Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. But our father, our fathers worshipped on this mountain." But you say that in Jerusalem is the place that people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. For you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to him, I who speak to you am he. So we're far removed from this practice. It kind of starts our story in verse 7. She's going out to draw water It would have been much more common to probably draw water first thing early in the day. You maybe have heard people talk about, well, they postulate that maybe she was wanting to be alone. Uh, In either case, she's there. Sometimes we refer to these as divine appointments, whether she had to go draw more water, she was trying to avoid people, we don't know exactly. But she's out here in the middle of the day, and Jesus is sitting at this well, and he asks her for a drink. Now, this catches her off guard, probably because of Jesus' dress, maybe his accent, maybe even his dialect, that he stands out a little bit. And she's taken off guard that a man addresses her much more. She highlights that he's a Jewish man, and she's a Samaritan woman. So she knows how Jews feel. And John gives us this note, well, just so you know, Greek reader after the fact that Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. It was common, not uncommon, if you were a Jewish person heading from Jerusalem to Galilee to move over on the side, the eastern side of the Jordan River, so you didn't have to travel through Samaritan territory so that you did not become unclean ritually. Jesus obviously isn't worried about that. Even more, he asked to drink from her water jar. He's breaking all kinds of boundaries here. He's reaching out across the boundaries of sex. He's reaching out to this woman. and He's reaching out to this Samaritan person. And he's not even just like, hey, it's okay that we talk. He's going to go grab her water jar and drink from it. Now, if you're an Orthodox Jew and you're reading this story and you're like, oh, Oh, he's going to drink from her jar? Now, how many of you are kind of like germaphobes? Like you don't like like getting your cup mixed up with somebody else? Or if the waiter at the table puts their hands on the top of your glass, right? Anybody with me in this category just a little bit compulsive? You're giggling, but you're not raising your hand. I know you, okay? (laughs) Jesus is going to drink from it. He's getting right into all of this... Close proximity and even in a sense intimacy. And so she's totally caught off guard by this. And so she's like, you don't even have a jar. What are you what are you doing? Why do you why do you want this water from me? In Jesus' words, in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. Then you see what he's doing here? He's pricking her mind to try to get her to ask the question. Well, who is it here with me? If you would have known who's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him. And she doesn't she doesn't get it. She's still kind of locked down in her categories. She doesn't get that maybe she should be asking the questions here. Jesus is the gift. And the giver. And this living water metaphor, which I don't have time this morning to unpack thoroughly, but it's this metaphor for living, having life in Him. Look at verse 12. This is really, really rich. Are you greater than our father Jacob? You're going to give me living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who drank from this well himself? Wouldn't it be fun to know what Jesus' thoughts were as she asked that ironic question? Incidentally, John does this a lot in in his gospel writing. He uses the people that Jesus is talking to 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 ask the question of his reader. We should ask the question, is he greater than our father Jacob? Yeah, he is. Yeah, like, what do you think, reader? John is probing us to... Ponder this question. She doesn't get it yet, though. He is greater than our father Jacob, but she doesn't know this. Now look at what she does here, though. Too, as Samaritans. So why were the why did the Samaritans and the Jews have no interaction? The Samaritans were, they were racially intermixed from back in history, from when the Assyrians forcibly brought people in, and so they were ethnically they weren't fully Jewish. But the real problem that Jews had with Samaritans wasn't just of who their parents were. It was because as a mixed group of kind of partly Jewish people, they took the worship of God and they interwove with it other pagan practices. And instead of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, they instituted another temple system right there, right above where Jesus and this woman are having this conversation on Mount Gerizim. So the, the Samaritans, you've, you've heard people talk about them perhaps, oh, they were mixed and whatever. It's not a race thing. They were worse than Gentiles because they had taken pure worship of Yahweh and polluted it. And so notice she says, well, are you greater than our father, Jacob? And Jesus just lets that lay. In this kind of religious discussion, Jesus doesn't jump to fixing her every wrong thought. I think there's an evangelistic lesson we can learn from there as we go through. Uh, But he he just kind of lets that lay for the moment. And he draws this contrast between her water, the well water, and living water. He says, this water is just plain water. It's going to leave you thirsty again. But the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. And now she's at least a little bit piqued. Oh, well, that sounds good. I don't know her tone of voice. Is she a little sarcastic? Oh, well, that sounds cool. How are you going to give that to me? Or maybe she's genuinely wants it. She's, yeah, give me that. That sounds good. And so then Jesus turns this sort of polite conversation. He just turns it on its head with this phrase. Cool. Go get your husband and we'll work out a deal. well, actually, I don't have a husband. And just like that, Jesus shines this light on her in a way that she never saw coming. And in that simple phrase, without really pointing the finger at her, he says something unobtrusive. and just says, well, go call your husband. Let's get this worked out. She knows. And all of a sudden, she's super uncomfortable. And she does what any of us would do. And she starts to change the subject. Actually, I don't don't have a husband. And you can't hear her tone of voice in the text. Maybe there's a little shame. I don't have a husband. Maybe there's an, an air of defiance. I don't have a husband. Maybe there's an air of, I'm available. Well, I don't have a husband. Any of these are possible. We don't know. It's reading between the lines, but we do know that it puts her on the spot. And we can see that she has a faith in God here. She is interested in what Jesus is talking about, but she doesn't know exactly everything that's going on. And so, Jesus, though when he's talking about living water, his offer has to trump. All other loyalties. And says, You can't you can't just add to this. So she says, I have no husband. And to her short direct confession, Jesus says, You're right. And he proceeds to highlight all of her domestic failures. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the person you're living with now is not your husband. Whew. Light. Bright, shining in corners that she did not want to have light on. Now, in our culture, we might think of the divorces as her fault. Well, you made terrible choices. You married poor people and you ended up divorced five times. In, in our culture, we might think of this as really primarily the woman's fault, but in her culture, was almost certain that these divorces were initiated by her husband. Which means that not only is she divorced five times, but she was rejected five times in the most intimate way. She was kicked out, rejected in the most hurtful way. And to have someone recite it back to her had to sting. So she does what all of us would do. She changes the subject. She moves it to a religious debate and like, that's pretty good. That's really good. But I can see that you're some kind of prophet. And so she kind of moves to religious discussion. Well, our fathers said that we should worship on this mountain, which where they're at, you can go there to this day. It's right above them, Mount Gerizim. But you Jews, you say you should worship in in, uh, the mountain in Jerusalem. But he doesn't let her shift the focus. And he does a whole run and run on the whole debate. It's not in this place, and it's not necessarily in Jerusalem. The salvation is from the Jews. The ones who are going to worship the true God must come in spirit and in truth. He's trying to give her completely new categories that erase this debate between Jews and Samaritans. As Paul would say later in Ephesians chapter 2, they're all going to be one. We're going to be brought into one family. He's trying to bring them all together. God wants worshipers who worship in in spirit and in truth. And she says, oh, yeah. Okay, well, I know when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us everything. He's going to straighten it all out. I I don't know what you're saying. I'm not going to sort it out. That's that's all above my pay grade. I know that when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us it. Which is an interesting statement of faith on her part, even though she doesn't get the full story and she doesn't know exactly what it's going to look like. But she has faith that God is going to bring this Messiah figure out uh, out of the background at some point, and it'll all get sorted out. In other words, she's, she she kind of diffuses this discussion about you know her own past and God off often safe, religious territory, but she really doesn't want to resolve it. Kind of brushes Jesus off. Yep. God will tell us, nope, I'm not changing today. Nope, you're not going to convince me today. And then Jesus, again, just drops this truth bomb. That's me. I'm here. I who speak to you am he. And in that moment, we have the disciples kind of bumble up from the town and they're coming back and they're kind of confused about what's going on here and master why are you talking to this woman let's look at uh, verse 27 i'll read that next couple paragraphs just then his disciples came back and they uh, marveled that he was talking with a woman but no one said what do you seek or why are you talking to her so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people come see a man that told me all i've ever done can this be the christ And they went out of the town and were coming to him. 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have found food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him food to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, to accomplish the work, accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. And see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. And I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into that labor. And it says there that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony fascinating fascinating they're surprised that he's talking to a woman which would probably be odd at minimum maybe even scandalous for a respectable person and Jesus was you know putting himself forward publicly as this important rabbi and why are you talking to this Samaritan uh, disreputable woman no less would well, they don't ask him. They're just you know, kind of confused. Like, well, master, you should probably eat some of the bread that we just got. And she runs back to town, and she starts telling people about Jesus. But look at what she does to do that. Come see a man who told me all I ever did. Now, instead of hiding, she's proclaiming it. Something incredible happened here. In this moment where this searing hot light shined a light on her sin, where she was incredibly uncomfortable, now all of a sudden she's received grace, and the grace is this backdrop for telling this story. Come see this man who knew about everything I did and accepted me anyway come see come see and it says many samaritans from that village came to believe in him and they respond and it says that Jesus stayed there two days there's some incredible lessons here i would love to unpack this fully there's a whole second message really that we talk about the response of the disciples we'll have to do that on another day Today, I just want to talk about this woman. Look back through the text, and what's her name? Did you catch her name? It's not there. This unnamed woman. Sometimes you'll hear this referred to as this passage, as the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman, both just totally accurate. I think, I think of her as an unnamed woman. Of course, the disciples knew her. They spent two days there. They would have remembered her name. Her name is left out, interestingly. I think in one sense, she's sort of a stand-in for all of these Samaritans, right? She represents the Samaritan people. And if you were an Orthodox, respectable Jew, you would be thinking, oh, yeah, well, you know, you know how literature works? You sort of have this character who stands in for this impulse, and this character who stands for this well, this well, yeah, this is what you would expect from the Samaritans. Aren't we proper? Aren't we appropriate? Oh, this, yep, yeah, that's just a typical Samaritan. That's what a respectable thinking Jew might have thought listening to this story. But in reality, look at what happens. This unnamed woman meets Jesus at a well. Now, let's go back to this well because the word is mentioned several times. All of this takes place around a well. Those of you who are a little more familiar with the biblical story, what takes place at wells in the Old Testament? Anyone know? Feel free to just holler it out. What happens at wells? watering the flocks and people meet at wells while they're watering their flocks, right? Who meets at wells? Let me phrase the question differently. If you're a young man hoping to find a bride, where do you hang out in the Old Testament hoping to find God's perfect mate? At wells. Moses met his wife at a well. Abraham's servant met Isaac's wife at a well. Jacob, who dug this well, who's mentioned for us in the text, finds his wife at a well. If you're reading this story, Jesus is out alone. If you're on, uh, we're steeped in the Old Testament story. Jesus is out alone at this well. And all of a sudden, there's a a woman sitting there, and they start to talk. Oh, what's this? Oh, Jesus is unmarried here, right? He never married on earth. If we're into this story, oh, what's going to happen here? Oh, this is, oh, no, Jesus, no. This is not the, trust me, this is not the woman you want to bring home to mom. Okay? This is no. And Jesus goes further and he goes further. Oh, she's oh, she's uh, she's not pure. Oh, she's Samaritan. Oh, that's bad. What happens at wells? Unmarried brides, unmarried grooms find their brides at wells. This story which is true history and really happened, is a parable of Jesus finding his bride. She is unnamed because she doesn't just stand in for those Samaritans. She is us. All of us, multiple lovers and never really acknowledging our true husband. All of us with a filthy story that if it was brought to light, we would want to crawl under the carpet. We're her. She's us. We are the bride of Christ in all our filth and all his glory. This is a parable of a true story. Of course they would have known this woman's name. I believe it's left out on purpose because you and I should picture ourselves in her shoes. She's us. She's us. So I love the storytelling, but I think we got to figure this out. Church after church after church, I've been a part of churches. I've coached and watched. We've got to figure out how to create this environment where it's safe to come into the light, don't we? Where it's okay to just be like, yeah, I'm not a mess. And not pounce on one another when we get it wrong. To be a mess together. To need the gospel together. And give up any illusion that we are respectable. We're not. And we're not going to go one by one and confess all our deepest, darkest things today. But maybe you need to uh, find someone in the church. Maybe that's you where you're at. Maybe it's just an encouragement. Maybe you know it. Maybe it's past, whatever it is. Just know if you identify with this woman, and I think we all can and should at some level. That's us. Jesus has met you at the well, given you living water, and we are his. Never to be left, never to be forsaken. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. Let me pray for us. God, I pray today that um, there's so much more we could mine from this text. Uh, I pray that you would help us to see uh, how we fit into this text. I pray that you would help us to see uh, where it is that we need to repent, where it is that we need to extend grace to one another, to ourselves, to identify with this woman so that we might joyfully go back to our villages and our places of work and whatever our neighborhoods, wherever we are, that we might joyfully go back with the same words, let me tell you about someone who shined a light on everything I've ever done and changed me. Lord, in your mercy, give us that grace, I pray. Amen.